Yeah. So because of the, the method of teaching that we do here at Calvary Chapel, uh, book by book, chapter by chapter, line by line, it brings me to places in the scriptures that, um, well, some people would prefer to uh, avoid. Perhaps there's places that I would want to avoid, but uh, it is my responsibility to teach the whole counsel of God, as, as Paul says in Acts 20. And um, so I'm at this place where I get to talk about false prophets. And, um, and I have to admit, it's actually something I do like to talk about, but it's not what everybody else likes to hear. Uh, and so we're going to do it this morning. It's the next section in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we need to explore it <clears throat> in our current historical context. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word, Matthew 7, verse 15 through 20. Matthew 7, verse 15 through 20. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thanks for your instruction. And as we'll see today, it does require that we go elsewhere in the scriptures uh, so that we might be able to follow uh, this, that we might be able to know how to beware. And so I pray that uh, you would teach us from the rest of your word, Lord, that we would be better equipped, that we would have greater discernment when it comes to false prophets, false teachers, those that would deceive for whatever motive they have. So Lord, we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and be seated. So the text here, even with the illustration, the, the, the figures of speech, is very straightforward. Uh, we're to beware of false prophets. We're to be able to identify them by their fruits. Uh, implied in here, of course, if you're going to beware of something, you're going to avoid it. And then also there's the, the mention of the plight of the false prophet. And of course, it's no coincidence that it follows uh, on the heels of what was spoken in the, the former context about the, 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 the gate and the, the, path, the gates and the paths. Uh, the, the wide gate, the easy path that leads to destruction. And uh, now we're talking about uh, those that would help others take the wide gate and the easy path that leads to destruction. There are people that are on the path all by themselves, and then there are others who are being assisted by false prophets. And uh, so this morning, what we need to do is we need to look at prophets and prophecy. Um, we need to look at the kind of... Uh, fruit that we must look for to identify a false prophet. Uh, we're also going to talk about what we do uh, today with false prophets. We certainly don't want to do what uh, uh, theocratic Israel did or was supposed to do in the Old Covenant, if you're familiar with those passages. Um, and then I, I believe it's necessary because of the example that we see in the scriptures is to be specific about the false prophets that are a danger to us and to those around us. So I'm going to name names this morning, <clears throat> and I'll give precedent for that as we go. So Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly 
they are ravenous wolves. So beware. So first, because of the danger that these people pose, uh, we are to be on the lookout. Now, being on the lookout is not the same as being on the hunt for. You get it? Uh, I do know of, of uh, groups within evangelicalism that have you know, made it their mission to root out all heretics, false prophets, and the rest. And I don't think that that is the instruction that we get. Uh, Jesus says in the text that they will come to us, and they do, okay? And they do in many different ways. Uh, they will uh, get on your radar. Um, if you watch YouTube, if you watch uh, TBN, uh, they, they're on those platforms. They do come into our churches. Uh, they'll come to you through an acquaintance who says, hey, have you heard this person? Uh, have you heard the things that they're teaching? Uh, because of <clears throat> what the more contemporary way of uh, you know, captivating people, it comes through music. Uh, that is probably the most effective way to, um, to draw our youth, and we'll get into that today. Our kids are enamored with some of these personalities and their music. So we want to be watchful. We want to be aware of these people, uh, especially if it's influencing people that are vulnerable, uh, people that are new in the faith. Um, I definitely want to be <clears throat> aware of who they are because of my children uh, and because of your children. Amen? Uh, would you appreciate that I was on guard for your children? Okay, good. Uh, we have an obligation morally and scripturally to be uh, watching out. So the question is, by what method, uh, by what standard do we determine if someone actually is a false prophet? obviously it's by the careful study of God's word and then comparing what they're saying with the text of scripture. Uh, something I've always appreciated is, you know, when Paul visited the city of Berea, Luke records the story for us, and he said that the Bereans were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians. Paul had just gone through Thessalonica, traveled to the city of Berea, and Luke says they were more fair-minded because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. And Paul wasn't offended by that. These people are commended for that. So to somebody who has no agenda, they don't have any problem being checked out. Those who have an agenda oftentimes get pretty upset when you disagree with them, you challenge them. And um, I've had people very angry with me uh, when I've you know, brought some of their teaching or their practice uh, into question. And I'm like, hey, if you're right, well, you know, why are you mad? You know, but if you can't defend your position biblically, if it can't stand under scrutiny, maybe, maybe it's not a great position to have. And, uh, and I believe that for myself as well. If my teaching, my practice as a pastor, uh, if, if it's not open to scrutiny by the scriptures, then there's, it should be challenged. So uh, we are commanded as Christians to test all things and hold fast to what is good, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Oh, the reference about the Bereans is Acts 17.10 and 11. And of course, this standard that we possess from God is the standard of his word, which does not err ever or in any place. Okay? And when we've accurately judged and determined that someone is a false teacher, we then have an obligation to expose them, which is the more uncomfortable part for some people. Some people are very reluctant to do that, and then some people get offended when we actually do that, okay? And, uh, but we have a biblical obligation 
to do it. And I'll address that more later as well. So let's begin by biblically defining what a real prophet of God is, and then we'll address <clears throat> false prophets. The, the first thing that's important about a prophet of God is that they happen to be appointed by God, okay, appointed by him. Uh, you know the story of Moses. Moses was appointed by God at the burning bush, Exodus 3. No question about that. Samuel was chosen by God as a boy while living uh, with Eli, the high priest, for Samuel 3. Uh, Isaiah was clearly called by God in Isaiah 6 in his vision, whom shall I send who will go for us? And Isaiah, who was already appointed, says, pick me. And uh, it's good stuff. Jeremiah was called of God in Jeremiah 1 and so on. And because a prophet appointed by God speaks the word of God, understand this, he cannot error in his communication when he speaks under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Not when he's speaking concerning the future and not when he's talking about doctrine or theology. When he's speaking about God, when he's speaking for God or about the future, he errs not, ever, ever. Deuteronomy 13 and 18, uh, 2 Peter 1.20, just jot those down, we'll cover them. Most people think of a prophet as someone who uh, just foretells the future. Oh, he's a prophet, so he deals with all things future uh, as those prophets are informed by God. Well, that is, uh, it's partly true, but it's not an entirely true. The word certainly implies that he is a foreteller, okay, of future events, but that's not always what a prophet does. Prophets also communicate God's will to man, God's exhortation to man. If you've read the Old Testament prophets, uh, clearly there's God's rebuke for man, uh, pronouncing of judgments upon man. Sometimes the prophets are given hidden knowledge about people and events that could not be known apart from God. Prophets do a lot. As a prophet, Moses, um, when you read Genesis through Deuteronomy, he spent most of his time establishing a theocratic state where he's talking about civil laws, he's talking about ceremonial laws, uh, things regarding the family, things regarding health, things regarding everything that goes into a society, okay? Uh, very, uh, there's only a few times where he actually addresses the future. He, he does prophesy, prophesy about the coming of Christ in Deuteronomy 18, but that's more rare for Moses, okay? Most of his was doctrine, theology, and instruction. Daniel, on the other hand, he almost exclusively prophesied about the future, okay? Uh, but he does get, there's some interesting stories. The, uh, the book of Daniel, as you know, is both narrative and then prophetic text. And in some of the narratives, uh, Daniel is given secret knowledge by God that no one else could possibly know. The one example is when Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, <clears throat> he needed to know what it meant, but he didn't want to be tricked by his sorcerers and his wise men. So he said, you guys have to tell me what I dreamt and you have to tell me what it means. And they're like, well, that's impossible. But Daniel knew that that is possible with God. So him and his friends seek the face of God. And so he tells Daniel what Nebuchadnezzar dreamt and the interpretation. And that's how, of course, Daniel then began to take on rank in the Babylonian empire. And then the great story with Belshazzar, uh, he has taken all of the furnishings of the temple, especially the cups, and they are putting wine in them and they're having a party to their god, a pagan deity. 
And so the hand appears and it's writing on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsin. Uh, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting, essentially. And, uh, and then this night, Daniel explains, you will lose your life. And, uh, and hey, he did, matter of fact, uh, historically. So Daniel does that, but most of the other prophets did a quite a bit of instructing and rebuking God's people, uh, mingling with things addressing the future. So a prophet of God is God's spokesman. Uh, he is a professor, a professor, communicating God's word to man, whatever that word may be. But as we understand from 2 Peter 1.21, this is made possible as the prophet is carried along by the spirit of God who ensures that whatever is spoken is accurate, is accurate, okay? So a prophet is called, he's appointed by God. All of his communications when speaking for God is 100% accurate and true, whether it concerns the future, doctrine, instruction, theology, doesn't matter. Therefore, his teaching never contradicts, it never disagrees with anything that is found elsewhere in God's word, ever. They are prophets, they are professors, so then what is a false prophet? The, the Greek word that Jesus uses is pseudo-prophetes. Think you can catch what that means? Pseudo, pseudo-prophet. He's a counterfeit. He's a fraud. Uh, he's a fake. He hasn't been called, appointed by God. Uh, there will be most definitely discrepancies in his foreseeing, and he will eventually uh, contradict disagree with the scriptures in some way. He will, in his instruction, lead or try to lead someone astray. Okay. Now, without looking at this, you know, surveying all of the scriptures in regard to this particular context, I just want to look at Deuteronomy 13 and 18, and uh, not much else is needed in the scriptures. God was clear way back then, and uh, we should heed uh, most of it. And I'll explain why in a minute. So just as Jesus was preparing the church for the infiltration of false teachers, he had already done that for Israel in the past. So let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses one through two. The Lord tells Moses, if there arises among you a prophet, arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. Notice some of the, the things in the text here. He's called a prophet. He's a dreamer of dreams, means he, he's someone who receives visions. He is a miracle worker, performing signs and wonders that actually come to pass. Okay? But his communication, his teaching contradicts the words of God, and he... At least this example is instructing people to disobey God. Okay? So this person, he's dangerous. Uh, Moses, understand, he assumes that there are and there will be false prophets that can perform miracles. He assumes that. And that shouldn't surprise us. He was uh, about 40 years before this, he was in Egypt. And he was performing miracles in the name of the Lord. But so were some other people. Now, they could only keep up with Moses so far. They could replicate so many of those miracles. But it came to a point where God said, I need to outshine these guys. And so he, Moses was performing miracles that they could not do. But up to that point, they were performing miracles. There's nothing in the text of Scripture that says that they were some kind of shenanigan. Okay? Uh, we're told 
uh, by Paul that there will be, in the last days, there will be all kinds of lying signs and wonders. Uh, We should expect this just as Moses did. We will have false prophets that can perform miracles. And that is, I think, one of the greatest dangers of this kind of prophet because most people assume that because someone can perform a miracle, therefore they must be a prophet of God. Because we even learn oftentimes in the scriptures that it is signs and wonders that verify a message. And that is true as long as the message doesn't contradict or disagree or add to the revelation of God's word. So, you guys, miracles themselves do not determine if someone is a legitimate prophet or not. It always, without exception, comes down to what is taught. If they contradict the word, if they disagree with the word, or as Deuteronomy, Proverbs, and Revelation all say, if they add to the completed revelation of God that we have in the Bible, they're a false prophet. False prophet. This guy in the text, for an example, is trying to lead people in idolatry. He's a false prophet. So who cares if he works miracles? What is he teaching? Let's look further in Deuteronomy 13. He says, you shall not listen to the, the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether or not you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall not listen to his words. The true test of a prophet is not miracles, but the content of his message. So as you're watching them perform miracles, if they are, you need to be listening. You need to be listening. And the implication is that those who follow after false prophets, <clears throat> it is they do not love God. Moses continues, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. He's provided his word. That's the instruction from God to man that we should be following So a good question to ask in all of this is how serious is God about the issue of false prophecy and false prophets? It's in this passage. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall put away the evil from your midst. They said we should follow all of it except some of it. Okay, Uh, so the church is not a theocratic state like ancient Israel, okay? Uh, We neither have the directive uh, nor do we have the authority to execute anyone, okay? Not false prophets. Uh, And I would not want to have that kind of responsibility as a pastor, amen? Yeah, so the church under the new covenant, just as we to communion this morning, Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Something new happened, okay? Something new. In this new covenant, we only have the authority to exclude people from the fellowship after they refuse to repent of some thing like false prophecy, false teaching. We do not execute them. The directive that we have to exclude is, uh, these are a few of them. Uh, I could provide more, but then the print gets smaller as I go could probably triple that uh, just in the New Testament. Uh, But those are a few. But you have to understand the change in covenant and the method of dealing with these kinds of people does not change God's stance on false prophets. It does not change the danger uh, these people pose. They lead people with themselves into destruction. Okay, We need to be careful. So if they're among us, 
spreading false doctrine, immorality, or whatever, they refuse to repent. Uh, we will and we have removed people from the fellowship of the church. Okay? Uh, something that collectively we should be thankful for. Amen. One more passage. Let's look at Deuteronomy 18. He says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? He says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. You remember when uh, Samuel came to Bethlehem. What did the men of the city do? They trembled. They trembled because Samuel represented God in the camp. <laughs> okay. But because these guys have presumptuously done this, he says, don't be afraid of them because they don't come really in my name. And in fact, he says in the first verse that they must be executed. So this is a pretty simple piece of instruction. If the prophet foretells future events that do not come to pass, that prophet, whoever he is without exception, is a false prophet. And I think that's something that many people today have missed, is that God provides zero exceptions in this area. Zero. If someone misspoke in the name of the Lord, they were out. They were a false prophet. And if Israel was to follow through with the command of God, anybody who said, thus saith the Lord, presumptuously, it did not come to pass, or they taught error, they were executed. There's no exceptions to this. God hates deception, okay? One false prophecy makes a false prophet, no exceptions. Let me say it one more time because I'm gonna get into this in a little bit of modern day prophets and nothing they say ever comes to, <laughs> to pass. One false prophecy makes a false prophet and there are no exceptions to this. This is why I don't make predictions <laughs> and you guys don't even stone people anymore, okay? Yeah, in this church, if someone will not repent of false teaching, of false prophecy. Um, if they will not repent after we've come to them and pleaded with them, we have to remove. God takes the matter very seriously and so should we. So in review of Deuteronomy 13 and 18, if someone works miracles, and, and I believe very strongly that that is on the horizon, okay, they will perform legitimate miracles uh, to deceive many. But if they contradict or disagree with God's word, uh, they're... They're, they're false prophets. If they foretell a future event that doesn't come to pass, they're a false prophet. And when we look at Revelation and other passages, any addition that a prophet makes to the scriptures, that makes him a false prophet. Something that is happening all the time today. They're a danger to the fellowship, to everyone they come in contact with. So our world right now is actually filled with a combination of the two. Uh, false prophets, false professors, teachers, YouTube, TBN, filled with People foretelling in the name of the Lord over and over and over again, things that never come to pass. Or my favorite is when prophecies are so generic that there's no way that it couldn't come to pass. There's no way to falsify it. Uh, that's not prophecy, okay? It's, it's all kinds of false teaching, false miracles. And the majority of all of it is manipulating for money. If people are manipulating for money, you know, thinking that godliness is a means of gain if they're peddling the gospel. Um, I'm done with them. I'm done with them. Okay. So who are they? Well, first, 
why would I provide names? Ephesians 5.11, Paul says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So in this passage, Paul is addressing both the works and the workers of darkness. God's people should know who these people are and what they're doing and teaching so that we can beware of them, so that we can steer clear of them, so that we can get them out of our fellowship, get them away from our children. I think a good way to illustrate this is that um, is with pedophiles. You know, if the government is going to release dangerous pedophiles into our communities, who among us, especially those of us with children, would like to know where these people are, who they are, what they look like? Okay. Um, would you want to know if they attended our church? Okay. Uh, we had a, a very dangerous, we've had a number of dangerous pedophiles uh, come to our church. Uh, they're supposed to contact me. And the last one violated parole, and we helped him get back to prison. Uh, we have one right now that we're meeting with, but he's not allowed to be here. We have hundreds of children in this church, and uh, we're not going to create an opportunity. We want to see them redeemed, um, but we're not going to let them just have free range in our church. So we meet them off-site, away from the fellowship. Another example I gave first service is if, what if um, there were a few bodies of water in Lewis County that had alligators in it? Would you want to know before you went swimming there? or went walking along the shore, okay? Well, yeah, it's, it's wise to know where the danger is. And if you know where the danger is, you have a moral obligation to tell others where it is. You wouldn't just say, enjoy your swim, bro. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I want to do now, not just because it seems like a logical course of action, but it is the mandate from Scripture, from God to do it. Jude adds to this, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So by the Holy Spirit, Jude commands us to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We must be always contending for the truth of the gospel. Kenneth Wiest adds a note to this. He says that our contending must be adjusted to meet the intensity of the opposition. And what, we mean, what he means by meet is we must present greater opposition because we want to win, okay? We want to contend. And when it comes to this particular field of theology, I can be very contentious, okay? Very contentious in my contending. The reference, uh, you know, he says the faith. Understand, that's a reference to the totality the body of Christian teaching, a teaching that was delivered to the church by the apostles in its entirety. It was delivered once for all. There's no further revelation. So guess what? I don't have to worry about false prophets today adding to the word of God. Yeah. Otherwise, it makes the words of Jude fake. Makes Jude a false prophet, and he ain't, okay? What we have in the 66 books of the Bible is is it. Paul continues, or Jude continues, he says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So they've crept in unnoticed, as Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, they came in sheep's clothing. Okay, they don't come and publicly announce that they're going to, you know, preach heresy among us. They creep in, they're creepy. They're sneaky, they're sly. 
These people are slippery. Paul says that, he says, by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive. Romans 16, 17 through 18. When I listen to them, I'm impressed by the way they present their homily, their case. They're excited, they're captivating, they're amazing orators. Pay attention to what they say, the content, not the quality of how it's delivered, but what is actually delivered. These people have skills. As the serpent in the garden, he was the most cunning of all of God's creatures. He came with challenges to God's word. He came with deception, came with lies. And as Jesus says, he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Pay attention. So we have to study the scriptures. We have to arm ourselves with the content that we find there so that we can earnestly contend for the purity of the gospel that was once delivered to God's people. It's our duty, okay? Lest people are deceived and led away. So in contending for the faith, um, the truth of the gospel, I'm gonna name names uh, who are either false prophets or false professors or both. Now, as I told first service, in, in doing this, it's very easy when you get competitive, you get contentious, you get frustrated and angry to begin to address people's character. I want to avoid that. No, I, I should avoid that. But I really want to address their character, okay? But I don't really think that it's helpful to advance the force of the directive. Do you understand? So I want to talk about things they do. I want to talk about things they teach, okay? Now, naming names was common among the apostles, and, and that's my precedent for this. So Paul, he includes false teachers and troublemakers like Hymenaeus and Alexander. Uh, both are found in 1 Timothy 1.20. Philetus, 2 Timothy 2.17. Demas, 2 Timothy 4.10. Alexander the coppersmith, 2 Timothy 4.14. And to illustrate the serious nature of this and how it, it, it was maddening to Paul when he was addressing the false teachers in Galatia, he one time said that I wish that they would just castrate themselves. And you think that I can be abrasive from the pulpit. You see, they were teaching that you had to be circumcised to be saved. And Paul says, I wish they would just go through with the whole thing. Because see, the danger of false teaching, that's the concern. It's, it's the, the detriment of the soul. It's, it's the eternal destination. It's the end game that he's concerned about. And so he, I mean, you read Galatians, you can hear and feel his tone. He's on protective mode. He's angry. John mentions Diotrephes in 3 John 1, 9. Jesus mentions people, calls people out. Uh, he mentions in the Gospels, he mentions a whole group of heretics known as the Nicolaitans in Revelation chapter 2, verses 6 and 15. And then something that is rather surprising to me is that he's talking about a false prophetess in the city of Thyatira, and he just, he just calls her Jezebel. He says, you got Jezebel there, and I don't like her. She is a false prophet. So to say that I have biblical precedent to call people out by name is I really think it's an understatement. These false prophets, these teachers have said and they've done things in public, so I'm not going to hide their identity. You get it? Uh, and just for your information, as I do this, I might provide a name of someone that you may like or you've thought that their teaching is okay. Right after first service, Somebody came and said, hey, I've been listening every morning to Dutch Sheets. Is he a part of that? I said, absolutely, he's a part of it, okay? Absolutely. So 
If I happen to mention somebody that you've liked or you thought was okay, please do not be offended prematurely. Not prematurely. Be mature enough to hear me out. And afterward, if I haven't given you sufficient evidence, okay, please come and speak with me about it. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Perhaps they have said something elsewhere that you're unaware of. Okay? And uh, one of the greatest false teachings, heresies in the church today, which is led by self-proclaimed modern-day apostles and prophets, is what's called the New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, it's, they call it it's NAR. And this Apostolic Reformation is commissioned, they say, by God to fulfill the seven-mountain mandate, which you're thinking, I've never heard of that in the scriptures. It's because it's not there. Yeah, I'll explain it in a minute. This particular movement really is just an expansion of the word of faith and the prosperity heresies, okay? But it's been repackaged to appeal to young people, to young people through music. So we use music as the draw card to get them in. And then once they're in, we introduce them. After they're enamored and their, their minds are blown and they're completely emotional, we introduce them to what the scriptures say, damnable heresies, okay? And this is probably why I hate this movement so much. They teach that they hear directly from God and that what they hear has equal authority to God's word. Most of them teach that man is inherently good. I told first service, the reason we have a nursery is to prove that that's false, okay? (laughs) They teach that God wants all people to be healed, but he didn't want Paul to be healed, right? There were others that weren't healed. What about Elisha the prophet? The prophet of God was blind. God wants all people to be wealthy. And it turns out usually they're the only ones that are wealthy. Some teach a heresy regarding the kenosis. That is that Jesus completely emptied himself of deity when he came to the earth. This is an ancient heresy from Arian. Okay. Philippians 2 says that he came in the likeness of man. Well, if he comes in the likeness of man, he has to be present in man. So the ancient fathers taught what is called the hypostatic union, that the 100% of the nature of man was unified with 100% of the nature of God in one man called Jesus Christ. All the fullness of deity dwells in Christ in bodily form. Okay. This, this, this lunacy of him emptying himself so that he's just like us, you guys, is the greatest heresy of that movement. We can talk a lot about these other issues, but as soon as you attack the deity the nature of Christ, we're done with you. We're done with you. Most of them teach that we're little gods of some kind, okay? Uh, some of their just crazy, bizarre Pentecostal practices, we say Pentecostal, but it has nothing to do with the scriptures. Their behavior can actually be traced to the, the witchcraft of uh, tribal groups in Africa and India. The insanity, there's no difference. You can look at one or the other and it looks identical to this stuff that they're doing, okay? Uh, they hold to dominion theology, which they call the seven mountain mandate. I'll get to it. Among them are those who believe that they are prophets on par with Moses and Isaiah. Others are apostles on par with Peter and Paul. They make many predictions about the future. They make them frequently in the name of the Lord. I've listened to too many the last couple of weeks waiting for their prophecies to come to pass. The ones they said would come to pass at a certain time, we're still waiting for those to come to pass. You guys, one false prophecy, you're done. And they have not been treated as the scripture said they should be 
treated. One of the most notorious leaders within this movement today is Bill Johnson. He's the head of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And Bethel Church and Bethel Music are highly influential, especially among our young people. And the crazy thing is when you evaluate the language of their music, it's fairly benign. Some of it's ambiguous. You can't tell if they're singing about a girl or God or vice, you know, a guy or God or whatever. But it's when they get into the fellowship that then they're introduced to these things. So here at Calvary, we will not use Bethel music because of their affiliation with Bethel Church and the things they do and teach there. Bethel Church teaches that Jesus was just a man in right relationship with God. That's, that's heresy at the highest degree, okay? God wants everyone to be healed physically. Well, then why don't you go do what Jesus did? Why don't you go to our hospitals? Why don't you go to the sick? Why don't you do that? They don't. Miracles by them are redefined unbiblically. So what they do is they minimize what an actual miracle is so that they can claim miracles. But they're saying that they're going to do greater miracles than Jesus. I'll tell you, I'm waiting for that. Let's see it. Where's the evidence? Okay. They don't teach that they are the arbitrators of Scripture, but that's exactly what they do in practice. For example, I'm currently teaching through Isaiah on Thursday nights. And what is interesting is the timing of all this. I just finished Isaiah 2, which is where the, excuse me, the movement gets their seven mountain mandate. But the text never mentions seven mountains. In the text, it exalts one mountain, which is the mountain of the Lord. And in the context, it's clearly referring to the temple mount that is in Jerusalem. And where the word mountain is used in the plural, like maybe seven mountains, it's a reference to idolatrous mountains, to these high places where pagans worship, not seven mountains of society. Also, there's no mandate in the text. There's no prescription from God. There's just a description of what God plans to do in the future. So the seven mountain mandate isn't something they got from the text of the Bible. Even though they make a lot of Bible references, you can never draw out of those passages what they're saying. God didn't prescribe the mandate. This is something that they've invented to justify their philosophy, which means that their philosophy is unbiblical. It's false teaching. And then with this supposed mandates, mandate rather, are all kinds of elaborate prophecies of the church taking over the world, none of which have come to pass. I was listening to uh, Dutch Sheets the other day who's talking about the hem of the garment prophecies, that we as God's people, we're gonna be walking through uh, Safeway and people will accidentally brush against our garments and they will be healed of cancer. That we will be in our sleep and we will be translated to a foreign country and preach the gospel in some recluse tribe. He says the world is going to see what it has never seen before because the church is going to take over the world, essentially. Well, the only thing, the guys, the world hasn't yet seen is the second coming of Christ. That's what they haven't seen, okay? And you can look for all this other garbage, but I'm looking for Jesus, okay? I'm looking for him. Bill Johnson stands with men like Essek Kenyon, Smith, Smith Wigglesworth, who used to beat congregants to get sickness out of them, Peter Wagner, Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Dutch Sheets, Stephen Furtick, probably Stephen's one of the most dangerous currently, uh, Joel Olstein, Todd White, Todd Bentley, uh, Kref Dollar, T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes rejects the Trinity. And uh, uh, Stephen Furtick says that T.D. is his mentor. Look, if, 
if you don't believe in the Trinity, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. If you don't believe in the God of the Bible, you don't believe in a God that saves. The Trinity, you guys, is one of the most essential doctrines of the Bible. God is Trinity. And so you can't just, well, the Trinity doesn't exist. Well, then you believe in an idol. You believe in a pagan God. You cannot be saved. You have to believe in the God of the Bible, and he is Trinity. There's a host of other names I could give. All of these men, except the ones that are dead, report bogus healings regularly on their programs. They give false prophecies often. They misuse scripture for their agenda, and they manipulate people for money. They manipulate people. False teachers, false prophets. And Jesus says, beware of them. They are leading people to the wide gate, the easy path, and it ends in destruction. And if they do not repent, that will be their end as well. So real quickly, I mentioned the seven mountain mandate. What in the world is that? The seven mountains represent seven spheres or realms of society. Uh, Education, religion, family, commerce, government slash military. That's what the church needs to be in charge of is the military. Arts, entertainment, and media. They believe that their mandate, I don't know how it came out of, I don't know how you got media out of Isaiah 2. They believe their mandate is to eventually take over these seven spheres. And when they do, they will have managed to usher in the kingdom of God on earth, and then Jesus can return. This is a form of dominion theology, which is a doctrine that believes that the church has the responsibility to essentially root out all things secular in society and replace it with all things Christian. And once the world is Christianized, then Jesus can come back. And so what they are doing is they're planning to set up the the kingdom without the king. Well, see, first, dominion theology is not only unbiblical, it's historically dangerous. This has been applied in the past already. Every group that has managed to secure some level of dominion, according to their definition, has persecuted and killed those that disagree with them. You guys know what the, um, the Inquisition is. The Inquisition is a product of Catholic dominion theology. When they had control, or rather when they were losing control, they started to not compel people through the preaching of the gospel. They began to coerce them. And those that would not be coerced, what did they do to them? They murdered them. Okay. Uh, Calvin uh, oversaw an execution of someone that disagreed with him. The Puritans, they... Uh, who are very dominion in their theology, they persecuted people in our early colonies here in America. Um, dominion theology is dangerous, okay? It's unbiblical. I think it's megalomaniacal. Megal- it's, I don't even know how you say the word. I think it's nuts is what I think it is. The church doesn't have dominion on the earth until the king returns. And it's, it's Christ who will ensure that the dominion is a just dominion that it's a righteous rule when we are in our resurrected bodies minus our sin nature. See, that will be a righteous rule. We are not equipped for such a thing now, okay? We're too broken. We're too morally fragile. Until he comes, though, we must do our best by his word to preserve truth, to propagate the gospel, and to guard the faith that was once for all delivered to the church. And whenever we have those who pervert the truth of the gospel... We must address it. We must. And whenever those among us will not repent of their error, we must exclude them. Too much is at risk when we tolerate heresy 
and false teaching. We must know who they are, we must beware of their teaching, and we must protect others from them. Amen? Please stand, and we'll pray. If, uh, if you need to talk with me afterwards, uh, please do. Um, I think I'm friendly. Uh, I won't argue with you, but I will present you with whatever evidence you need for the claims that I've made. I'm not out to get anyone, uh, but these people are out to get others, especially our young people. And so I pray that you will stand with me as we stand between them and the vulnerable. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is so abundantly clear uh, in its instruction, in our obligation. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd grant us grace and courage to do this well. We're not on a witch hunt, but Lord, we have been called to protect the purity of the gospel. And... um, We want to do it graciously. We want to do it winsomely because we don't want to see anyone lost. And so, Lord, give us discernment. Give us wisdom, we pray. And um, yeah, we just love you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.